because you're jumping back into the gut. All right. Hey, Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Excited to welcome Boken Nakbar to share the game with us. Nakbar is a former NBA and Slovenian national team player who had a 20-year pro basketball career. In 2002, he was the 15th pick in the draft by the Houston Rockets. He played six seasons in the NBA and won club championships in Slovenia, Italy, Germany, and Spain. Currently, and the main reason he is here with us today, is that he is working as the managing director of the EuroLeague Players Association. Boken, welcome to the podcast. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, this is cool. And uh, we're going to get into some issues facing players and how coaches can address them. But first, you started the ELPA, the EuroLeague Players Association, three years ago. And uh, this is a big deal. Can you talk a little bit about what the aims of the LPA are and then maybe how you've addressed some of the issues? Yeah, um, you know, the, the, the Players Association um, has been something that's really been missing at the highest level of, of European basketball for, I wouldn't even say years, probably even for decades. Um, so, you know, as we saw over the last couple of decades, more and more players playing in the NBA um, and then realizing the strength of the association, um, there was more and more desire to do that something on a EuroLeague level, you know, which is, you know, EuroLeague being the, the best European competition, um, most probably also, you know, the second best world competition after the NBA. Um, and, uh, but it is an international competition, right? So, you know, to pull off something like an association, it's much more difficult than it sounds because not just that you have to put, put or try to put together the players from 18 different teams and 10 different countries, there's a whole bunch of, um, legal legislation, whatever you want to call it, issues that come with it, right? Countries that are inside EU, outside EU, you know, different languages. So um, it's been it's been a long path. It's been a difficult one at the beginning, but but yeah, now it's our third season that we're functioning, and um, uh, it's it's uh, it's something that is there is very needed, and I believe that it's something that players greatly benefit from, um, you know, and amongst many things that that we try to do for players, one of the most uh, important ones, ones for us is to protect players um, and to try to prolong their careers and enhance their careers, including, you know, having good relations with, with coaches and coaching and uh, coach association and different performance uh, specialists that all contribute to the players being as successful as possible on the court. It's great stuff. And we can't wait to dive deeper into it. And uh, what, one thing that's coming up, and you talked about uh, supporting players, and the one thing that's coming up is the ELPA Performance International Congress, which is coming up May 29th. And uh, for coaches, whenever you listen to this podcast, it does not matter. Go to e elplayers.com, and you can find out more information. But uh, maybe give us an idea of uh, why this conference is important. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's our first uh, online conference in such a magnitude. We um, you know, throughout our second, so last season, we kind of, you know, the management of Elpa kind of felt, okay, we need to do a step further and we need to offer players access to some of the best experts in the field of performance. Um, surely, um, a lot of EuroLeague clubs are greatly equipped with, with the highly professional coaches and coaching staff and performance um, staff. But we wanted to take it a, a step further, that if a player feels that he needs any, something extra that he needs, whether it's an advice, whether he wants to work with somebody personally, um, whether he simply feels that a part of his game or his life, there is an, there's an area that is missing, uh, we're offering that. And uh, our performance advisory board consists of seven um, high-level experts um, from different fields, including strength and conditioning, um, um, psychology, nutrition, um, we have uh, uh, people who have worked in the NBA. We have people who have uh, experience with working top-level athletes from other sports. Um, so um, included also a um, you know highly um, touted doctor from Turkey that is a traumatologist. So in case of any injuries that the players want to ask about and get advice. So we put together this. I like to call it an all-star team of experts in the field of performance that 
are now going to be, for the first time, leading this Congress. Uh, what we have done is connected with, um, so each of our performance advisory board members will talk to one of the, the, let's call them the colleagues in their field and really push for innovation, right? So really talk about some of the topics that we feel that need to be discussed more and need to take a step forward. So we really see this Congress as a, as a very progressive and, and very innovative way um, for a wider audience to, um, to listen in. So we don't just limit on EuroLeague clubs and EuroLeague performance staff, but we're going as wide as we can. So um, because we're covering so many different topics, um, including coaching, one of the guests is going to be a former um, EuroLeague uh, legend and, uh, and Slovenian national team player, Jaka Lakovic, who is now uh, a coach uh, after a successful basketball career. Uh, he's a coach in Germany in the first division, and he's going to talk about his experience of translating from playing to coaching and what are the benefits or the difficulties when you do that transition. So especially this part, I think, is going to be really, really interesting for all the coaches out there. Well, and again, a lot of the topics are sports science related, but you mentioned that uh, connection to coaching. And there's so many of these topics, obviously, that are related to coaching. But also what was interesting to me is there's a little bit of NBA flavor in it as well. And I'm imagining in your association, is that part of the process for you is to educate players a little bit about the NBA? And a lot of them might have goals of getting there. So explaining how that process would work. That, that, that is important. Um, we definitely want to... Um provide our, our members opportunity to learn more about the NBA. A lot of those, um, a lot of the players who play in EuroLeague uh, have this opportunity at some point in their career, whether it's as rookies or later in, in the career, uh, when they get the, the offers to, to play there. Um, but but for, us, for, for us, it's also about, um, you know, making that bridge between EuroLeague and the NBA. Um, the leagues are coming becoming more and more intertwined with so many players, not just going from EuroLeague to the NBA, but in the other direction as well. So, yeah, we're going to have um, also people from NBA teams and, and, and people or personnel from the NBPA. Um, you know, their medical officer sharing his thoughts uh, on the topic of second medical opinion, which is very important. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of those crossovers there that, uh, that we believe are, are really an, an advanced way of, of thinking of, about basketball, which is thinking globally. Well, it definitely. And then we know the basketball is global now. And uh, you were part of that early group, obviously, to be in the NBA and everything with that. So I'm just curious, maybe to turn it back a little bit to coaching and some of the experiences from your playing career. You played for so, so many great coaches in your career. Looking back, are there any experiences working with a particular coach that really stood out for you? Um, the, the first experience was when I, when I was uh, a you know, 19, 20-year-old young player um, and left my country, Slovenia, for the first time to go to play as a foreign player in, in another country, which was in Italy. You know, the legendary team, Benetton Treviso, uh, was back then coached by famous coach Mike D'Antoni. Um, and that was my first experience of really high-level coaching, um, you know, NBA level. We, we could say that now, definitely. Um, and exposing me to a different mentality, right, of different kind of approach towards coaching players. Um, me coming from the former Yugoslavia, uh, the basketball school there is, is different. It, it, and it used to be much different back then. It was this tough coaching mentality, uh, grueling practices, um, um, players not really being involved in any kind of coaching discussions. It was like my way or the highway kind of coaching. And then switching to being coached by Mike D'Antoni, who was very open, very, um, very friendly, um, loved to talk to players, loved to hear their opinion, actually wanted to hear their opinions, um, did, was not scared of, of, of um, giving young players opportunity to play, you know. Um, so still a demanding coach, but a coach that had a completely different perception of how to coach players. So even uh, so already at the very young age, I had the, 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 the opportunity to experience those those two very different worlds of, of coaching. Now, I'm not saying one is better than the other. For sure, some players prefer one or the other. Um, but it was, it was great for me to see those differences and to understand where each basketball school is coming from and what the main points are of trying to coach players. Well, I'm curious, building on that a little bit, uh, what, what could coaches, in your opinion, learn the most from, from watching EuroLeague? And uh, obviously, so many great coaches and so many great tacticians. but is there anything that stands out for you that, uh, you know, this is why coaches should learn from the EuroLeague? Um, I mean, the EuroLeague is, is, is 
on itself, it's such a high-level basketball, um, mostly tactically speaking. You know, it, it developed so much over the last, I want to say, 10 to 15 years. Um, it really became complex. And uh, the coaches are always looking for players that are um, able to, to, to keep track of their thinking, right? It's not just let's run up and down and, and, and jack up shots and he, see who scores more. It's, it's usually very complex defensive schemes, very... Um, a lot of offensive variations. You know, there's much more difficult thing to trick an opponent in EuroLeague than it is in the NBA because there's all kinds of possibilities of being able to help on defense and it's less isolation and it's less of this opening. The court is smaller. Um, you know, there's less time, um, you know, if you look at the overall game. So um, it really comes into play a lot more, the team play and, and, the, and the coaching and the tactic aspects of it as compared to the NBA. So um, I think that that's why that's, that's one of the, the things that some people love about EuroLeague. Some people you know, prefer the NBA style where it's more about individual and about athleticism and, and more about each, each, each player's you know, quality that, that really stands out once they go to the NBA, which we see a lot with European players when they, once they cross over. Uh, you know, they, their their averages, whether it's points, rebounds, assists, double or triple immediately, just becomes the game is so open and it allows a talented player to show what he can do. In Europe, that it's much more difficult and the team plays is put first, then the individuals come. That is such a great point. I mean, scoring averages for, for players in both leagues are very different, but that it's it's not a reflection of the, the games, it's more a reflection of kind of the style of the both leagues. But uh, I, I'm curious as well. So a long time ago, not to date you, but to the 2000s, you played in the NBA. And now you've seen this influx of players who have played in the NBA that now return to EuroLeague. I'm wondering, what have you noticed? Has that impacted the EuroLeague positively? Has that helped the game in your EuroLeague? I think it helps a lot, you know. Um, I think it helps a lot. The more I think we see of these transitions, um, you know, in one direction or the other, I think it improves the game. Because I'm a big proponent of believing that more more heads, like we say, no more things. No, you know, it's like if, if, you, if you get the sh an opportunity to share a locker room with a player that has, you know, 7, 8, 10, 12 years of NBA experience, you're just going to gain by that, whether you're a coach or a player. You know, the playing in the NBA is playing at the highest level, and nobody can really say that it, it hurts someone if they had an opportunity to play with a player that has vast experience from, from being in the NBA. Um, so, yeah, I think that just as NBA became richer, by having international flavor in the last couple of, uh, you know, maybe in, you know, last decade or so. The same is with EuroLeague basketball. You know, the more of those players who have vast NBA experience that play in EuroLeague, it improves the product. That's, that's as simple as that. So what do you think then European coaches could learn the most from their NBA counterparts? What are some things that the, the European coaches could take away? To me, the biggest thing is, is approaching the players and having this, I wouldn't call it a friendly relation with players. It's still a professional relation, but a, a much more increased from the communicative stand of, uh, standpoint. The difference between Europe, European or EuroLeague coaches and NBA is still the fact that in EuroLeague, the coaches are um, the ones that you know, steer the boat, so to say, completely. Um, whereas in the NBA, it's, it's kind of shared with at least the top players in the team. Now, which one, which option is better? We can debate that probably for days, but that's something that, that I always liked as a player. I, 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 I like that approach when the coach is accessible. I like the approach when coach listens to players. I like it when he at least thinks about what players has to say. And then, of course, he decides on his own which way the team is going to go, whether it's just discussing about a, a small play in the game, a tweak or something that needs to be changed or our general approach. And uh, that's something that we see a lot more in the NBA. And I thought it always helped the players feel more comfortable and playing better. That's just from speaking from my experience. Sports, culture, takes. Take Line has it all. Take Line is a weekly podcast hosted by Emmy winner Jason Concepcion and former WNBA champ Renee Montgomery. That's a fast-paced exploration of the NBA and world of sports and culture. Each week, Jason and Renee talk about the games, players, controversies, and issues that run both on and off the court. Follow now to hear Take Line every Tuesday, wherever you get your pods. Coach, have you heard of Locker Room? 
Locker Room is live audio-only sports talk. It's free to download and to use. And you can talk to me and other fans and athletes and insiders in real time. I'm now going live on Locker Room on the Locker Room app every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, where I'm going to have real basketball conversations. It's perfect as well for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news, where you can share your own experiences on the app. All you need to do is to download the Locker Room app free in the iOS App Store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the league or group that you want to be a part of. You can follow me on Twitter at B-Ball Immersion to be notified when my room goes live. We'll be going live on Locker Room Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. Join me on Locker Room. One of the topics that stands out for me in your in your Congress here is that the the sports science topic around recovery in basketball. And I'm imagining just from your career alone that you saw the improvement in aiding players in terms of understanding recovery and the importance of recovery. Can you talk about that? And then some of the things that you might highlight for coaches to understand about the importance of recovery. That, that is such an important field. I, I could not stress it more. You know, um, I think that the mentality is changing now. Um, you know, with, with European coaches as well, of understanding that recovery plays such a huge role in order to achieve the goal, you know, in the second part of the season or later in the season. Um, you know, too many times we, we saw, and I was a part of teams where um, the season started and, and, and the, 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 the game, the intensity of the games, intensity of the practices was just so high and for so long that we ended up going into the second part of the season pretty much empty, on empty batteries. And uh, those were usually the teams that didn't pay a lot of attention to, to how important the recovery is. And that is not just, you know, putting your ice on your knees, you know, but it's, it's the whole process, it's the whole perception on listening to your staff, listening to your performance staff, listening to your physiotherapists, to your strength and conditioning coaches, to your doctors, understanding the science behind it, understanding why an off day doesn't just mean that the guy is lazy and he's going to sit on the couch at home, but that the resting player's body and his mind will give you back tenfold in the long run, right? So making a complete plan on how to approach the season and how to recover properly in order to arrive in springtime when it's the most important part of the year, as ready as you possibly can be. And a lot of times we see that those teams that come into the springtime ready, healthy, full of energy, motivated, those are the teams that usually end up being on the top. When you already mentioned this at the beginning and connecting it to this is that you, you part of your role is to help players elongate their career, whatever that wherever that ends up being. But that's part of the goal. Right. So this has got to be a foundation of that process, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and we don't just see it as, you know, the you know, the let's say the practice. Right. And the recovery right after we see it as a complete picture. So one of the things that we have, um, for example, discussed with EuroLeague extensively is changing the schedule of travel. In EuroLeague, for you know, for a really long time, um, the 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 percent. I mean, the, the schedule has always been a road game, home game, road game, home game, right? The, the classical round robin system. What we are discussing with Euroleague, and we have made already, um, you know, some some major changes in the last couple of years, is when the team travels, and when we do, when we have those double double uh, double round weeks, when the teams play two games on the road, like Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Friday that they stay in the same area. So, for example, when a team from Spain travels to Greece on Tuesday to play a game, they stay until Thursday, play another game there against the other team, come back, and then they don't have to travel to Greece anymore for the rest of the year. Um, same goes when they travel to Russia, or Russian teams go to, you know, uh, France, or, I mean, whatever it might be. So we're looking at regions. So what are, what, how can we save players' travel time, for example, so that they have most time to recover and to rest? And be ready for the next game. That's that's one of the things. You know, I, I can go further and and um, uh, you know, for example, negotiating with Euroleague that that in the last couple of seasons the players have single rooms when we travel, uh, which is some people will say, wow, Euroleague didn't uh, didn't uh, give players single rooms. Well, not until two years ago, until we didn't sort it out with Euroleague. So um, you know, things like that, determining off days. You know, the minimum number of off days that that each team has to give to a player. Um, determining the maximum days of training camp um, and, and stuff like that. So it's, we see it really as a whole picture, not just, you know, uh, um, trying to help the performance staff in each early team. That's, that's a part of it, but it's not everything. Well, it's fascinating stuff. In a lot of ways, obviously, you're trying to catch up to what the NBA has in place and a lot of these things. 
The other thing that coaches understand a little bit who have followed the EuroLeague is it's mixed in with the domestic league. So I'm imagining another topic, which I saw in your Congress, which is important, is this concept of load management that starts to come up. And that certainly has come down from the NBA to other leagues. But uh, I'm imagining that's coming into EuroLeague a little bit, too. That, that's that's a tough one, you know, because if you look at from um, the scheduling perspective and if you if you consider the fact that EuroLeague teams play in two different leagues at the same time, right? So EuroLeague and then domestic league, um, of course, every league wants the biggest number of games. They want to attract fans. They want to sell tickets. They want to, um, you know, uh, grow. So, and the players are the victim of that system, right? So you play in two different leagues and, and some leagues are, are long, just as long as your league are, are longer by the number of games and some are, some are shorter. So I, I don't joke around and I'm not the only one who says this, that has experience from the NBA and EuroLeague. EuroLeague season is by, by far much more difficult than an NBA season. People will think, well, but NBA plays 82 games, it's tough. It is tough. But if you think about the fact that an average, you know, EuroLeague player will play around 70 games a season or maybe 75, and the tough travel, the non-commercial, the, you know, the, the, the non, um, uh, char- no charter flights or commercial flying, um, you know, you have to consider that in both leagues, the majority of games are highly touted uh, derby games, you know, fighting games that, and from usually played in front of, of you know thousands of, of screaming fans, and those are all high pressure games. And for a lot of those teams, it feels like it's playoffs for like six, seven months, not just for like two weeks. And, and when your league season ends as a player, you're like, wow, that was tough, right? Everybody recognized it. Not even to mention that your league season is, is nine months or ten months long. I mean, for the EuroLeague player, um, compared to the NBA, that is much shorter, right? And that's why NBA players have a much more time during the summer to, to recover. Um, usually European players then jump into national teams. So um, the load management, is, it's a tough subject. And it, it, in the future, it will require much more um, cooperation between national leagues and EuroLeague, without any doubt. Another thing that's come in more and more over the years is sports psychology and the importance of that. And I'm curious then, with that, do more and more EuroLeague teams have sports psychologists on retainer or on staff or different things like that to be able to address some of these, not just sports psychology, but also mental health issues? I think it's, this is still an area that is de- being developed, um, or I would say it's the other way. I would say that it's still underdeveloped in European basketball level. Um, I wouldn't say it's neglected. I think the people are starting to realize the importance of it. Um, I don't have the exact uh, information on how many teams actively work in this area. That's why for us, it was, it was very important to, um, for the ELPA to, to hire a sports psychologist that's available 24-7 for our members. Um, and also with this Congress, we want to raise aware, awareness of the importance of offering the players this, this service. I mean, it's all, like I said a couple of times already, it's like a complete thing. You have to look at it from a couple of different angles and it all starts up here, you know, it's all, start, all starts with, with, your, with your mind and, and whatever your mind goes, the body will follow. And, uh, and that's something that, that we see the players are searching for help in this area more and more. I think NBA and NBPA have done a wonderful job in this and they have kind of broken down those barriers of players not being afraid to step up and seek help in this environment or, or in this area. And uh, I, I would definitely hope that this trend continues and that it trickle down to, to other leagues and other sports as well in Europe. It's developing, but it's still not at a point where it should be. Yeah, it makes sense. And uh, I know you're doing your part to be able to push that agenda forward, which is awesome. And this holistic perspective that represents your whole Congress is, is tremendous as well. I'm curious from you reflecting back on your playing career, you know, some of these things that you put in place for the players uh, through your association, I'm wondering if there are one or two of them that you really wished were in place when you played. <laughs> uh, more than one and two, probably. Yeah, of course, yeah. let's maybe uh, narrow we- it down. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, um, you know, the, the, the things that, that our, uh, that EuroLeague players get now, you know, different from, from when I was playing in EuroLeague, we didn't have, um, they're, they're practice or game related and they're not, um, you know, like I said before, whether it's, you know, the length of the training camp, which before was unlimited. And if you, had, you got unlucky and you had a, a coach that was highly demanding, you, you probably went through a two and two, two and a half months training camp. By the time the season started, you felt like you, were, <laughs> you had a year of basketball already behind you. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, as I mentioned before, things like single room on the roads are so important. I had 
a lot of teammates that I was I was close with, close with, and I thought they were great guys, and I understood their problem. But if I if I'm in Europe and there's an American guy that is my roommate and wants to talk to his family at four in the morning, who am I to tell him don't do that, right? So that obstructed my my rest, and it was important for him mentally to connect with his family that time because that was the only time that he could, for example, talk to his mom or something when she got off work or whatever. So. Um, you know, that, that was one of the things. And on, on the other hand, um, you know, to, we're also improving things like um, uh, or, or securing players' health in a way that we have removed the, the commercial stickers on the court, for example, as, as you've seen in a lot of EuroLeague arenas. I'm oh, sorry, not EuroLeague, but European arenas. Yep. Um, so if you're going to look at the EuroLeague games now uh, for the past two seasons, you're not going to see any stickers anymore on the court. Any kind of advertising can only be in the free throw circle and it can only be painted. Anything else has to be completely off. Uh, I think that was a big step and very important step for players. And then, you know, helping players also with any kind of legal uh, matters that they have, and legal issues or late payments that still happen from time to time uh, with some of the clubs. Um, and we have a system in place that aggressively pursues any kind of late payment that, that the club owes to players. So um, a lot of different things that I wish they were in place when I was playing, that's for sure. That late payment one always comes up. Uh, I had some former players play in Europe and it just, it just seems like a consistent thing. And uh I'm guessing that these other European leagues would like to get to the point to have an association like yours. Is that part of the mandate to be able to spread this to other leagues as well, potentially? Yes, some countries have have the uh, the let's say the national um, players associations, which is always great to see because those players feel that they are at least protected up to a certain up to a certain point. Um, but not not enough is done in this field in, in basketball. You know, I cannot say the same for other sports where. You know, some, some other sports could probably be a way ahead uh, of, of basketball or behind. Um, but in, in basketball, there's only a few countries that have uh, a national um, player association, and a lot of them still don't. And that's why they so heavily rely on, on the LPA. Um, and it's our, since day one, it's been our big goal that we would be an example for a lot of other either regional leagues or, or national leagues that would motivate players to step up and, and, and get organized at that level as well. Um, I, I do have to say we get a lot of calls and we get a lot of requests from players on you know, how, to, uh, <laughs> how to put together an association and how we got started and what are the correct steps. And we, we love to advise those players. But um, at the end of the day, um, for now, our jurisdiction is to work only within EuroLeague. So we cannot step outside our boundaries and let's say start negotiating a collective bargaining agreement in, in a country that doesn't even have a yearly team, right? So, um, but yeah, we're always open to discussion and always willing to help any player in Europe with, with any kind of advice they need. And, we, and we've done that and we're going to continue to do that. Well, it's great stuff. And uh, we've connected through, through this podcast with the EuroLeague Coaches Association as well, you know, which is another thing that's, that's risen up over the last few years, right? And really become a little bit more powerful. So, all of this is only going to help, isn't it? I think so. I think as, as the, you know, I, I, um, I don't like to use the word power so much because it can get mm -hmm. misunderstood a lot. So I don't like to say that the players now have more power because it seems like the players are trying to fight back for whatever reason. It's not about that. It's just about finally having a seat at the table and having all the major players in EuroLeague or European basketball really listen to the players' needs and players' requests for change, which, in my very strong opinion, always helps the end product, right? If you have happy players, if you have satisfied players, if you have players that are healthy, if you have players that are paid on time, give me one reason why you would think that that's going to hurt the product, right? Which is the game of basketball, which attracts the fans. So that's, that's the end goal of everyone. Well, I know there's so many listeners that are big fans of the EuroLeague and enjoy watching the games and, uh, you know, following the coaches, particularly in the players. So it's such a great league to be able to watch. But you are also acting as an NBA European ambassador as well. Can you talk about that role? Yeah, I, I got approached, um, you know, while I was when I was going to when I was coming to the end of my career, if I want to be one of the um, European NBA ambassadors, uh, which which I've immediately immediately said yes. I think NBA is doing a lot of wonderful things all over the globe, uh, including in Europe through the junior NBA programs in a lot of different countries, which unfortunately, just like a lot of other projects, got put on hold this season. But I, I, I'm I'm excited to see what um, what hopefully next season brings, and and we're gonna have. 
uh, another set of a lot of uh, very interesting events of for young players coming up. But yeah, I, I traveled throughout the Europe and uh, and Asia as an NBA ambassador, and then been to a lot of junior NBA events, especially uh, which are which are a joy to watch. You know, this is such a pure basketball when you see those nine, ten, eleven year old kids uh, putting on an NBA jersey and 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 they're presenting an NBA team and, and competing in their in their you know small little leagues. It's, it's such a joy to watch. And, and, and me as a former NBA player, I, I enjoy, um, and just speaking from my experience, you know, players want to hear how it is to play in the NBA and how it is to play against this player and that player. Um, as I get older, I get more and more distant from the new generation that might not even know, not me, but the players that I played against. Um, but, uh, but that's just the normal way of, of, uh, that's just, that, that's just how things work. But yeah. Um, uh, like I said, hopefully in the in the in the fall, um, the junior NBA camps are going to pick up again, and uh, I'll be a part of it again. Gladly. Yeah. This week has tons of sports action as the MLB, NBA, and NHL are in full swing. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sports betting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC, MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device, and check out all the great sports news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Bet online, your online sportsbook expert. You work hard and you play hard, so treat yourself and stock up for the summer barbecues with Kansas City Steak Company. Visit kansascitysteaks.com and get 10% off your order and free shipping with code S at checkout. From classic steak cuts to USDA Prime to American-style Kobe, hard-to-find specialty cuts and more, Kansas City Steaks has everything you need to fire up the grill. They make it so easy. Each order from Kansas City Steaks is a flash frozen and delivered directly to your home. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Imagine relaxing in the backyard with family while enjoying steakhouse quality meats from Kansas City Steaks. Bring the steakhouse to your house this summer with Kansas City Steaks. Go to KansasCitySteaks.com and get 10% off your order and free shipping with code SD at checkout. That's KansasCitySteaks.com, code SD, KansasCitySteaks.com, code SD. So many of those camps. I know Alex Sarama, who we both know and worked for the mm-hmm. uh, for the NBA Europe, and uh, that was such a big part of it. So many of those player camps that seemed like a really cool experience, so... Yeah, I can't wait for those to start. And then kind of transitioning to that, maybe one of the most important topics that you and I can discuss is the development system within Europe, because you have two daughters that are going through that, and particularly in the Spanish system. Can you give us maybe just an initial perspective from a parent's perspective of the Spanish system that your daughters are going through? Yeah, well, you know, my, my daughters are very young. They're 8 and 12, so they're just starting to play basketball for the you know my older daughter is playing her third season the youngest one just started this year um uh, you know they, they both enjoy it and it's something that um i always say as a parent i think it's the number one rule right as long as the kids enjoy it support them if your child that's i really strongly strongly stand behind that if your child wants to do something else and is and is 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 in love with with pursuing any other career whether it's a different sport or different thing in life support that. I think there's, in my opinion, nothing more difficult to watch than a parent that is 10 times or 100 times more motivated than a kid, right? And, and you see that at all different sports in a lot of different levels. Um, the, what we, the, the Spanish system is, is, is interesting. I think it's, um, it's, it's a system that is obviously um, extremely well organized. And, and I can only speak now really for maybe women's basketball more than men's because I have more experience by watching my daughters um, play. Um, it's, it's, it's consists of smaller leagues, regional leagues, that, that then, you know, you can get the winners from all these leagues that come closer together and then, and then they play for, for the champion, whether it's under 12, under 14, under 16, and so on and so on. Um, High-level coaching, um, extremely demanding coaching, um, in my opinion, at times too demanding for, for the age. That they're in, uh, I, th- I still think that until maybe the age, at least age 14, 15, it needs to be all about having fun and, and having games. Yes, hard work, teach the kid hard work, work on fundamentals a lot, leave the tactics for later and leave those high pressure yelling at players situations for later. If they're going to survive this part and become close to going to college or becoming professionals, 
they're going to have a lot of those situations there already. So I think that that's the first and most important thing, right? So for all the coaches out there, it's like, you know, also speaking from my experience, try to keep it as fun as you can for as long as you can for a player. If, if he ends up being a professional, he, sees, he, he still sees basketball as a fun thing, which hopefully he does. That's great. But don't, uh, don't pressure those kids so much that at age 14, 15, 16, they get fed up in basketball. It's very sad to see a talented player giving up just because it's been too much already at, year, at age 15. Um, so, uh, but, but yeah, um, I'm always positively surprised to see how basketball in general advances from, let's say, years to years or decades to decades. I can easily say that when I watch 14, 15, 16-year-old kids play in Spain, that we were, my generation was, and it was considered a really good Slovenian generation that produced, I think, six or seven NBA players. We were not at that technical level um, at that age. We were simply, we were way behind. So that's the progress of basketball you can see. And I think that Spanish basketball really excels in that, uh, really pushes player to um, work to be uh, to, uh, on a technical and tactical aspect of, of the sport. And uh, the most interesting thing is to see that the girls are not far behind. They're physically limited, but technically and tactically, they're right there. And, and I love to see that. So one of the, you know, and you already mentioned this relative to the difference in European and kind of some of the NBA coaching you've been experienced or you have experienced. Then I'm curious, are you, are you seeing a difference between how you were developed, say, in Slovenia basketball versus how your daughters are going through the Spanish system? Like you said the coaching is demanding, but I'm wondering if the player relationships are more what you would want them to be. Um, I see it as much more, um, I don't know, for lack of a better word, professional now than, than, than what we had. You know, it's, it's much more structured. Um, one, if, if I jump into details, one thing that I don't like about Spanish youth basketball's approach is the rules of their games. Um, particularly one rule stands out and that's whenever a foul is called or an out-of-bounds play is called or anything like this, the player doesn't have to give the ball to the referee in order to inbound. They can just pick up the ball, run to the sideline and in, inbound. That's, I spoke to a lot of coaches about this. It's supposedly, this, this rule is supposedly in place to increase ag aggressiveness of players so they don't stop. So it continues, you know, and there's none of these breaks. I don't necessarily, I'm not a fan of that. I don't think it, it's a solution for that, right? There's other ways of increasing players' intensity and, and, and their aggressiveness in the game. Um, so that's something that, for example, was completely new to me. When I started here, I, I, it took me a while to, to get adjusted. And what I, I think that the rule is actually being abused because the teams and the players that figure out that once the whistle is called, you run to the nearest sideline and inbound the ball to the player that is under the basket and he can score... I don't know how much that really helps anybody, right? Because as soon as you're going to reach the age 16, this rule is going to stop and you're going to have to start always, you know, with a set defense. So that's, that's for one example that is interesting that I have never seen before. And it's really, really pushed here in Spain with the, with the I believe, all up until under 16 um, level. And that's unique to Spain only? I, I haven't seen it anywhere else as, as of right now. I haven't seen it. But I, I, so I, I, I don't know, but it's something that is, that is done here um, but I, you know, we, I mean, me, our generation and, and not just our generation, but in Slovenia, for example, which is, you know, also, a, um, let's say a, a really good basketball school and produced a lot of basketball players. We've never done that. And I called coaches when I saw it here, I said, was, has there been a change in Slovenia as well? And everybody's like, what do you, what? Like nobody could even believe there's a, that's a strange rule. I said, that's something that they, they're pushing for here. So maybe we'll have to wait that this generation grows up and then we'll see at the, at the senior level, <laughs> you know, who, who benefited from this, this rule and who did. That's fun to hear. And I think, you know, in reflecting, that's like a really old FIBA rule that used to exist, that used to be able to do that. Um, and they've obviously decided that that's a part of maybe, you know, increasing pace of play, as you said, different things, uh, or moving on to next play. The other question is, I'm curious then what you've experienced, because I think a lot of people romanticize the Spanish system or some European development systems, not just Spanish. Slovenia, Serbia, et cetera. But one thing that they seem to produce at the top level is creative players, players that are able to find solutions, you know, without, you know, again, a must or a, you, you know, an absolute. So I'm curious if you're seeing that process happen for your daughters in terms of fostering creativity. Um, 
Honestly, I think that this is most probably thought at the, at the, at the later stage because I haven't really seen it so far. What, I, what I've seen here is possibly too much controlling by coaches, which I don't like at this age. No. Uh, I, think that, I think that the, the, the young players have to be steered, but they shouldn't be controlled, right? I think you have to provide you know, a player with, with, a, with a roadmap how to get from A to B, but he has to figure out the roadblocks in between the road from A to B himself. Um, and that's something that I think it's, it's really taught at a higher level at the later stage. I don't think there's not necessarily nothing wrong with that. I think that player freedom needs to, be, um, needs to be respected and needs to be, if a player has the ability to create through his freedom, that needs to be celebrated, in my opinion. Um, but also we have to be realistic and know that, for example, the Spanish basketball system brings in a lot of talent from other countries. Um, and a lot of those players have been taught, whether it was in Slovenia or whether it was in Lithuania or Czech Republic or from African countries or whatever they they come from and end up in, in one of those Spanish uh, Spanish youth, cl- youth um, so Spanish clubs youth programs. Um, a lot of times, those are the players that already have a very high level of development, and then j- just blossom into a player once they go through the Spanish Spanish system. Um, you know, through the, from the age 16, 17 to 20, for example, and. Um, you know, the best example by far is, is Luka Doncic, who has, you know, started his young career in Slovenia, but then moved to a Spanish uh, Real Madrid system and, and really became what he is today, mostly because of what he, how he's been coached in Spain. But, you know, um, we cannot expect that every year somebody is going to end up like Luka, right? That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a one in a million. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's just the approach that a lot of Spanish teams have. They, they, they bring in these young players. They have this big you know, schools of basketball. Um, and, and um, you know, it's sometimes sad to see that other countries kind of get deprived from their talent because Spain right now is kind of like a hotspot for, for talented players. Yeah, unfortunately, resources, economics, all those things factor into play in terms of those Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm curious then with your, you can only speak probably to your daughter's experience, but are you seeing a lot of drill-based coaching or are you seeing a lot more small-sided game-type coaching? At the youth level, how are they being developed? Um, both, both. Yeah. I think I think it's uh, that's, there's a good mix of everything. Um, I'm I'm a huge fan of of uh, young players really working on their skills a lot. Now that's a difficult part as well because um, you can't just you, you can't just have as a coach this mentality saying okay from the age eight until twelve for example we're really going to work on the player skill dribbling passing shooting right um, it it becomes dull for a player right you can't just be drill 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 the player needs to be put in situations where once he learns those skills he has the ability to test them out to try them out and that's why the mix of both is so 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 important and i think that the teams that or the coaches that find this perfect balance between drilling and then trying those drills out in two and two three and three four and four five and five situations are the ones that can in my opinion help the players to to evolve um quicker it's very cool to hear that and to get your perspectives, obviously having played over a long span of a career and also so many different coaches to get that perspective on your your daughters and their experience and maybe just give coaches a little perspective. So your daughters are in a club program right now. And as they move up, does it start to move to more regional and more uh, potentially national type programs or how does that progression work as they develop? Yeah, well, well, they they are in the youth program of the of the um, you know FC Barcelona women's basketball team, um, and like I said before, under eight, under twelve teams. Um, the interesting part that they do here is that um, some clubs don't do that. So for some some exa- some clubs, for example, can have 14, 15, 16, 20 players if they sign up, right? And of course, some of them are going to play more in the game than the others, but they can be like an open. Uh, for everyone, right? Open for everyone um, um, setup. Whereas FC Barcelona has on each team only 12 players. So if you don't make the team or if somebody else comes or some younger, play, younger player starts catching up, next season there might not be a spot for you on the team and then you have to search for a different, different club, right? Which I think is kind of cruel in, in, in a way. Um, I don't, I'm not big fan of, of, of doing that already at a young age, but that's the setup they have. So already at this young age, it's kind of like a selection of players. You need to constantly improve in order to stay in the team so that you can go from under 12 to under 14, under 16, and then, you know, at some point play for the senior team or go to any other professional team 
um, you know, any other professional club, whether it's in Spain or somewhere else, if that's what you want to do, or you know, the, the NCAA basketball. So, um, but to be quite honest, as a dad, we're not at that stage yet. Like I said earlier, earlier with this conversation about kids, with my daughters, we're still at the stage of of have fun, enjoy. We'll talk about next season when the next season comes. And if they want to pursue basketball and they want to do something, especially after the age 16, 17, then, then we're going to really start thinking about, okay, what are the best possible steps for each of my daughters if that's what still they want to do and pursue basketball to you know, reach the highest level that they can. Well, it's tremendous perspective to, to share with uh, coaches around the world to just get some of these perspectives. And, and I think some people might be surprised that clubs like Barcelona only deal, say, with the top of the pyramid in their in their approach, right? Because they can always just go get players they need. But some of the other clubs would deal with more of broader numbers, right? They would deal with like a Badalona would deal with a bigger, bigger development level, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. A lot of other clubs do that, not just here in Spain, also across Europe. You know, yeah. they will really, especially with women's basketball, which popularity is, is really rising, but they want to keep the door open and they want to have as many young girls to come in to um, to play and to try out and to stick with on the team and 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 uh, you know if, if they see a talent in them great if they don't they can still stay a part of the team and I think that up to a certain age it should be it should be like that um, uh, like I said before you know it's not necessarily the best approach to really have a, this tight selection already with 10 12 14 year old kids when you're talking about the local club it's a different thing obviously when you talk about a national team or something like this but for a club I think the door should be open but yeah Barcelona has a different type of approach, the, the, the club here. And, uh, um, you know, they, they, I have to say they are extremely well organized and extremely professional clubs. So it kind of goes, you know, you know, both ways. You have to understand that once you, got select, once you get selected in and you get the, the, uh, the approval to be a part of the team, it's, it's not the same as in playing some other local club that just has door, doors open for everybody that walks through. So... There is a certain level of respect you have as a player towards the club because it's a huge institution, one of the most important or most recognizable world sports brands, and 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 they behave like that, which I, which I think in a way it it should, right? They should represent a certain level and a certain style and a certain belonging to the club um, because it has such a huge impact, not only in basketball. We you know only if you mention football, we don't have to even mention how how big of a brand and and what it means in in the world of sports. Well, I've had a chance to visit uh, Barcelona and uh, be able to see some mm -hmm. of the stuff they do, mm -hmm. and it's really impressive. And uh, you know, no wonder they're they're continuing to be at the top level in both sports, and and not just those sports, all the sports they're involved in. But uh, putting back on your ELPA hat, what are maybe speaking specifically to coaches right now? What are some of the issues that players face that you feel are very solvable for coaches if they knew more about some of the issues players faced? Um, allowing players to talk more in the sense, not complain more, but talk more, right? Con constructive conversations, listening to players when they describe the way they feel, not just physically, but mentally as well. I think that's a barrier that is slowly but surely with the new generation of coaches being broken down. Um, that's one thing. And the other thing is that, um, you know, just maintaining the balance on the team. But what I mean by that is, um, you know, a coach in Europe, just like it is now in the NBA because it's becoming international, but in European basketball as well, you have a locker room of younger players that are maybe 17, 18 year old. You have a, a locker room, the same locker room, a guy that played in the NBA for 10 years. You can have a, a couple of American players. You can have a couple of Spanish players. You can have a guy from uh, Sweden. You can have a guy from Russia. It's a mix of cultures, mix of languages. And I think that the coaches that know how to handle these different cultures and different languages and different views on basketball, those really, I think they, they position themselves to be highly successful. I'm not even going into tactics approach and, and all that stuff because there's much better professionals that know much more than I do about that. And I would, they would quickly make me look stupid if we, if we, if we went, down, went down that route. But I'm a huge, huge, huge believer that the, the mental aspect of controlling the locker room is just as important as being tactically savvy and tactically, you know, top-notch kind of coach. I think if you have one th the one thing and you don't have the other and vice versa, I think you're failing as a coach. And I don't think you can really go that uh, go far, especially in today's time where um, the basketball is becoming more and more international and the pay the players are gaining more and more 
again, don't like the word, the word power, but, you know, recognition, let's say, um, whether it's in the club, in the league and, 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 and wider. So, um, you know, I would really stress that point, that part, especially for the young coaches who maybe are too focused just on technical and tactical aspect, the, the, the mental aspect and the way to approach players and to control the locker room is just as important. Yeah, I think the phrasing that that has struck me is is that players are more valued in everything, you know, in every interaction, they're just more valued. And obviously, that's what we all want. We want players to feel valued. So I'm glad you helped drive that home for us. This is exciting. And it's great to talk to you and get perspective from a, a player's perspective, coach perspective. And then elplayers.com is where coaches can go and find more information on the ELPA Performance International Congress. And for coaches that maybe can't go live, is it going to be available on replay for them? Yes. Everybody that signs up is going to have an access to, to a replay of, of the Congress. Also, um, we don't expect that people will, will sit behind the laptop and, and watch. Uh, you know, it's going to be a seven-hour long, long event, so people are going to definitely have a way to you know, watch a part of it live, watch the rest later on, on, on demand, let's call it. And the most important thing that... Um, the whole Congress is free, so it's not a payable Congress. We want to be, as I said before, as accessible as possible to reach as wider as wider community as we can. And uh, it's online this year, but we have really high goals and high expectations that we can make this an annual event live, meaning in person, um, starting next season, and where all the coaches and performance staff would gather, exchange ideas, exchange views on things, network. Um, we were we're thinking to make it as a part of the uh, uh, the EuroLeague Final Four um, event. So um, you know, and, and this this inaugural um, you know the the epic we call it the Elpa Performance Advisory uh, Performance International Congress uh, is is just the first step in that direction. Well, it's awesome stuff, and coaches I can't encourage you enough. Even if you can't make the conference live, I signed up. Make sure you sign up for it, and follow all the social media for the LPA for future events as well, because. Uh, it's just great stuff that you're doing and great contributions to the game. So I can't thank you for sharing enough with us. No, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. This is, uh, this is really great. And uh, anytime in the future you'd like to discuss anything more about coaching, love to help and, and love to contribute. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion, Subscribe to our newsletter at basketballmergent.com newsletter.